We're going to pray. Get ready for a long one, guys. <laughs> God. Like he's a creature of habit. And so he's freaking out. 
because he feels like there's nobody with him. Or one could say like that it feels like he's surrounded with loneliness. So he could just, if he could just remember that I was there, it'd be a lot better for all of us, right? <laughs> he could be able to sleep through the night. I'd be able to sleep through the night if he could just remember that I'm there, even when he can't see me. So Valentine's Day, right? It sucks. <laughs> I've never liked Valentine's Day. Even when I have a girlfriend, I don't like Valentine's Day. And one of those reasons is because it's a made-up holiday by the car companies that are trying to make revenue. They're just like, let's create something so we can make more money, but at what cost? And I don't just mean to manufacture, but you know, our emotional health and physical health and whatnot. But it's been said, and I've been trying to do research on it, but it's so, the <laughs> evidence is so obfuscated, well, obfuscated that like it's confusing because some reports will say it's not, and some reports will say it is, but I'm just gonna go with it is because it's my sermon. <laughs> Valentine's Day is the number one day when people commit suicide. And second is Thanksgiving. And so, like, why would I want to celebrate that? Like, I know there's good stuff, and it's, it's hard. I get very cynical, but I, it's, it hurts me that I know that people are out there suffering alone. And they, on this day where they feel like they're, they need to have somebody because of what the worldviews have pushed on us, right? But, like, it still, it has an effect on us. And... Even like when I'm in a relationship, right? Like I feel these, these pressures because I'm like, well, don't I show you how every day I love you and care for you? Like why do I need a day that says that I have to do something above and beyond that when I try to give 1,000% every single day? And this creates anxiety and fear of man in me because, like, not only do I have to worry about them, but I have to worry about their parents and their friends and their coworkers. And, like, thankfully, like, my recent relationships, they, they haven't been on social media a lot. Or that'd be a whole other weight on me. Like, well, I gotta do something crazy so I can impress these people. And I know it's bad. I have this fear of man and this anxiety, but I'm just trying to be real with you guys. I'm just trying to be vulnerable. But others of you are alone. And, oh, I just wanna say this one last part. Like, most of my most of my girlfriends they understand right they understand that i try to show them love every single day so they don't like put a lot of pressure on me because they're like yeah but he do be treating me good though you know? <laughs> but others of you are alone you, you feel surrounded by happy couples they just make it appear like everything is perfect for them. And I want to dispel, dispel the myth. 
couples fight. <laughs> it's a temptation to be in a relationship and feel surrounded by happy couples and feel like you're the only one that has disagreements. But it's not true, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why Bare Bones started was we wanted to create a place that was real, where you could be real with one another, because we think being fake is the enemy to in intimacy. It's the enemy to being close to one another and closer to God. And we walk around with these masks on, like everything's okay. And I get it. You're like, well, I love God. I'm not feeling it right now, but I want to put like a good testimony or whatever. Being fake is not a good testimony for anyone. We gotta be real with one another, guys. And and you see that in the church like all over, right? But I also like see it like in like relationships and like marriages or young relationships where we try to pretend like it's all okay because of what we post on social media or every time we're out and about, we're like, oh, we don't fight in public, you know. But who like how much do you know like you fight behind closed doors a lot if you're in a relationship? And I don't want to hear anybody raise their hands or say amen to that, but <laughs> but it's a real thing. And I feel like we could really help the church and each other if we could be more real about that, if we could share our struggles more and not create this Barbie and Ken image that people are like, well, you know, if you're pretty and you pretend like you don't fight all the time, then it must be good. It must be perfect. But it's not. But, enough about me. You. But you, you, some of you are alone. And you're not okay with that. And I want to let you know that that's okay. That it's good to want someone. I feel like a lot of people will come up on a stage and be like, you just need to focus on God, right? You just have to get your life together and everything like that. Don't worry about finding another person until you got it all figured out. But come on, we're never going to have it figured out. There's definitely things we can do that can prepare us a little bit more for that, right? And we want to create good disciplines and habits so that when that person comes into our life, yes, continue to work on that. But I want to tell you that it's, it's okay to be alone and to want to have somebody to love, to get married to. But I want to encourage you at the same time to love yourself and realize that you are a whole person as is. I'm not telling you to stop wanting that. But as you want that, love yourself and remind yourself of some of these truths I'm about to share with you from the Bible. In Christ, we are called his children. That's John 1.12. In him, we have been brought into fullness, not like we're missing something. Colossians 2, 9 through 10. We are no longer slaves to sin, Romans 6, 6. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 1 Peter 2, 9. Your body is a temple, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Your life is hidden in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And finally, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Deuteronomy 28, 13. And this list is not exhausted by any means. There are many, many more things he says about you and says about the value of your life and the truth of who you are. But others of you, you're still okay being single or you're in a relationship and you're okay with that but you feel surrounded at work, school, with family, 
friends, church, and the pressures that come along with those. We have deadlines, social, societal expectations, the fear of people finding out our past, the fear of being known, the fear of never being known. And some of you have it better, and some of you have it worse, where the burdens are so crushing. And one of the problems we face as a people, particularly in this microwavable, high-speed internet culture, is that we don't expect life to be hard. We expect things to work, and fast at that. When was the last time you were on a on a internet page and it didn't load like that, and you're like, <laughs> means all the time. We expect things to work and fast, but that's this is half the battle. We gotta stop waking up every day expecting or hoping things will go our way. We gotta arm ourselves for the battle so that when things don't go your way, which they inevitably will, you will be prepared mentally. Because the surprise of it, even though we experience it every day, it's what causes us to complain and moan and be angry and bitter. And what made us so entitled to get our way? Is it partly because we've been raised in a Burger King generation where we think we can have it our way? He promised us hard days. The amount of times he's talked about it in the Bible is overwhelming. And I will only give you one for the sake of time. In Luke 19.43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. You see, Jesus told us about this. He told us we'd be surrounded. He told us we'd face difficulties. He told us that it's actually a blessing to face difficulties for him. He warned us. So why do we act so surprised? There's story after story of people being surrounded in the Bible. From Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah, to David running from Saul, to the Israelites being taken captive, to Daniel and the lion, with the lions, and so many others. Some of these ended up good for the people of God, and others did not, at least at the outset. But okay, we get it. A lot of people have been surrounded before. And we should expect it. But how is that encouraging? How is that going to get me through life or even just this Valentine's Day? Let me tell you. The answer is very simple. It's one word. The answer is horses. Did you know horses cannot vomit? Horses with pink skin can get a sunburn. It is extremely unlikely to see all horses in a herd lying down simultaneously. This is because at least one horse will stand as a lookout in order to be able to alert the others of any potential dangers. Horses have the largest eye of a land animal. 
The only animals that have bigger eyes are whales, seals, and ostrich. Hmm. It's also said that while they do have blind spots directly in front of them and directly behind them, they are said to have 360 degree vision. Which makes me think of us, right? Because while we have the ability to see like outside of our life, this is something that's very unique to the human being. We tend to forget directly behind us and how God has been faithful to us and how he has treated us so, so good. And we tend to forget and are blinded by the future that he is going to fulfill the promises that he's made to us. And we freak out. Well, let's get a little lighter here. When horses look like they're laughing, they're actually engaging in a special nose-enhancing technique called <laughs> 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 I'm not sure if that's ridiculous, but whatever. To determine whether it smells good or bad. In 1872, Leland Stanford made a bet that at some point in the gallop, all four of a horse's legs are off the ground at the same time. Edward Muybridge proved him right by using a series of 24 cameras and photographing a racehorse named Sally Gardner, which is why you sometimes see the iconic image of a horse where it looks like no legs are touching. <laughs> Speaking of running, the fastest recorded sprinting speed of a horse was 55 miles per hour. Most gallop at around 27 miles per hour. Horses are social animals and will get lonely and kept alone. And they will mourn the passing of a companion. A stat of March 2018 says, the US horse industry has an economic impact of around $122 billion, which is $20 billion more than the estimation made in 2005 study. The industry also employs around 1.74 million people, and it is responsible for 7.2 million horses with Texas, Florida, and California having the highest horse populations. 30.5% of American households contain a horse enthusiast. Yeehaw. 80 million acres of land is dedicated to horse-related activities. So I guess like after hearing at least the last few stats, you can see how horses are actually very much a part of our life in America, and how one could maybe say that, I don't know, we're surrounded by horses. There are a lot of horses in the Bible. In fact, one page when I was researching said there was 100 verses about horses in the Bible, which to me seems like a lot of airtime for an animal in the Bible, especially one that's not used for sacrifices. There's Jeremiah 12.5. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe lane you are trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Deuteronomy 17.16. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. 1 Kings 4, 26. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. 
Psalm 26 through 7. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand, some trusting in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Like, why are we talking about horses, man? I, I wish that I were talking about um, When you see that, like, there's all these, all this talk about horses. When you were rich, one way you knew that was with you, if you had a lot of horses. Because that meant you were rich and you kind of knew how to protect your riches. And this is a big reason why we're, we're saying, like, hey, like, God's like, don't do that. Like, don't gather up all, the, all these horses. <laughs> but probably the most iconic passage about horses in the Bible is Revelation 19, 11 through 14. Revelation 19, 11 through 14. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. By the way, how B.A. is that? That means bad. Never mind. <laughs> and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. White and pure were following him on white horses. But there's, but like, by the look of some of your faces, like, you're kind of wondering what's going on. I mean, like, I think that, like, can you tell, like, I think horses are pretty cool? Like, I've recently come up with this obsession with them. Um, and it's starting to make sense a little bit why we have these horses folded on the tables, maybe, because I just really wanted to share about the glory of the horse. But, like, I hear your thoughts. What does this have to do with anything about being surrounded? I mean, I feel more anxious because I realize the pressures around me, and you choose to go on some five, ten-minute rant about how great horses are? <laughs> but there's one more passage I'd like to share with you about horses that really gets me fired up and will get my point across. Second Kings 6, 8 through 17. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used, the, used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Okay, where are the horses, Corey? <coughs> and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to him, them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your very bedroom. Horses where? Patience. 
And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Please go on and read how the story turns out. This is what baffles me when, people, when how most people say the Bible isn't interesting. It baffles me how they say it's not relevant to our lives. Most people that say that, they haven't even read it. Because I don't know about you, but haven't you ever felt surrounded before? Haven't you ever needed some encouragement that when you are surrounded by enemies, that you could be assured that those who are with you are more than those who are with them? It's my last passage. John 18. <coughs> when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, which some commentators say could be upwards of... 500 people went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. Judas who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he. When Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this is the gospel. That Jesus came here for us. And when they came for him, he said, take me, not them. And what we see through this is that darkness that surrounds makes God's love shine so much brighter. And it's so much sweeter when you realize it up against the trials that you face. This same Jesus that was in the garden that sent the chariots 
and the horses of fire to protect Elijah and his servant is everywhere. He's all powerful and he's everywhere. And that would be enough, right? But he's also a loving God. He's powerful and loving and he's on your side. So we want you guys to take one of these horses when you leave. And every time you look at it, remember that God is with you. Even when you don't feel his love, he's all around you. I pray that tonight your eyes have been opened. I pray that tonight that when you go home and if you start to feel a sense of loneliness on you, you can look at that horse and remember that he is around you and that he, his love, it changes everything. He changes everything. So, don't you see how this is good news? The harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that need to hear that God loves them. Don't you need to hear it every day? And sometimes we can say that to one another in a plain way, right? But sometimes you got to be creative. Like hopefully we were able to do, Jesus, please help me drink some coffee. Like hopefully we were able to do in a creative way tonight to get that across that we can create intrigue to the world that wants to just shut him off, that, that it's hiding behind their blindness. This is good news. You are loved. And the people you work with, the people in your family, your friends, God loves them too. And how many of them are waiting for you to just share that love? And it's not just something that you always speak, but it's in actions too. Share the good news. There's a love that people need to hear about. This is why we are called to go and make disciples. We've been tricked, you guys. We've been tricked that this is something that's overbearing, and this is something that's going to create tension. But this is the th very thing that is going to create peace in our lives and others. Yes, it might create tension at first. But that's what it's about, of being a peacemaker, as most translations say. It's not about being a peacekeeper. It means you're willing to ruffle little feathers so that you can help people have a true peace. Because it's going to hurt people. They're not going to want to give up on the things that they've been running to. The things that, like, they think you're going to satisfy themselves, but they keep going back to it, and it's never enough. They're trying to make themselves their God. As soon as they're in pain, they want to run away. But this is why we go and we share love through action and word. This is why we go and tell about the mountain. It's our responsibility, you guys. You know your love now. So what are you going to do about it? I mean, think about it. When you go, like, and you find out a deal like Chick-fil-A, I don't know, 
best restaurant in the world. Amen. <laughs> is giving away free food or at a discount? What do you do? You tell all your friends about it, right? Because you want you don't want them to miss out on it. Why would you want them to miss out on God's goodness? I'm not even gonna get into hell, but just talking about how good God is to us. It's our responsibility, and it's not some burdensome obligation, but it's a blessed privilege. And for, for some of you, the thing, the reason it doesn't feel that way is because you're not surrounding yourself with people that are encouraging you in that mission. You're surrounding yourself with people that make it feel like a burden. And so I challenge you to seek those people out. There's a lot of them in this room. And I'm not saying we need to worship our work in this, but using this work to worship God, it is good news. Your problems are surrounded, and they don't stand a chance. His name is above it all. So let's pray. we thank you so much for coming here to reveal your love to us for opening our eyes we thank you for all that you've done in this night and all that you're continuing to do in the days to come help us to trust you love is all around us, that our identity is in you. And from that love, we are able to pour out love into others. Help us not to waste our lives. We only have one, and our time is limited. Help us to really show that we love you.